0: It is uh, good to see everyone this morning. I am glad you're here. I'm Pastor Josh. If it's the first time um, you're with us, uh, I hope that people have made you feel welcome in this place, and uh, that we have spent this time welcoming God into this place uh, because He's here. I want to take a moment and just welcome everybody who's online. Last week I told you we have a lot of we have a number of snowbirds who are down in Florida and other much warmer places, and so hello to you, or, or just maybe you're homesick or weren't able to make it this morning, um, and glad that you are with us. I, I want to share a passage this morning out of James, and before I get there, I just want you to know that James, to me, is probably one of the more fascinated, fascinating biblical characters or writers, I should say, um, and also believers in Jesus uh, for one simple reason. He is the half-brother of Jesus, and he is calling people to worship Jesus as Lord. I, I grew up with brothers, um, and... I don't know if you have siblings or not, I love my brothers. We actually get along, we have a good relationship, but they are the last two people on the face of the planet that I would worship and call other people to worship. So I actually think that James calling people to worship his brother is probably the greatest proof of the resurrection that we have in front of us. So James is the leader of uh, the Jerusalem church. Uh, what happens in the early church is that most people actually scatter and they spread after the resurrection of Jesus because there's intense persecution going on. James stays, and he is kind of the central hub of a lot of what is happening um, in Jerusalem for the Christians. And so he becomes this great leader in Jerusalem in the midst of what is intense persecution. And so for somebody like James to be able, able to do that, he has to be the type of person that dedicates himself to prayer. And so James uh, was given a nickname that had to do with prayer. The nickname that James was given was Old Camel Knees. Old Camel Knees. Uh, UC bus. And his uh, church history, ecclesiastical history, he writes this. He's a 4th century church historian. He writes this, and what he is doing is he's actually quoting a 2nd century church historian whose works have been lost. But he says this. He says this about James. He says, he frequently entered the temple alone and was frequently found situated upon his knees asking for forgiveness for the people. So that his knees became hard after the manner of a camel on account of always bending down upon a knee while worshiping God and asking forgiveness for the people. And so James was said to have, I don't know if you've seen camel knees, like these lumpy, calloused, protruding knees. Those are how his knees were described from the amount of time that he spent in prayer. And if you were here yesterday uh, with a women's uh, retreat, they they focused on prayer. My mother-in-law was teaching and she was in town, so I decided to call her old Camel Knees and uh she did not think that was a, a compliment um i'm sorry i couldn't resist but if you have your bibles go to james five because we're gonna look at james five i'm gonna read the entire text and then we're actually going to use it we're going to walk through this because i want to teach this this morning because it's important for us as a church to understand what's going on here and people who are in in pursuit of a relationship with god and understanding what our prayer life should look like not just individually but collectively And so here's what James does, and he's writing to the church, and he says this. He says, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simple, yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Is anyone anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. This is God's word. Let's begin at the beginning of this passage here in verse 12. James 5, verse 12. It says, above all. Everybody say above all with me. Above all, okay. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. (laughs) The reason that James begins with above all is because he's about done here. This is the last chapter of his book to the church, and he's telling them, I'm about done. And if you read through James, or if you've ever read through the book of James, what you'll discover is he's extremely concerned about the way you speak. Uh, He spills a ton of ink on the way that Christians speak to other people, about other people, what comes out of their mouth in general. And he is the one who teaches the church to tame their tongue. He's the one who describes the tongue like a fire. In other words, like it can start fires and you can, you can burn down your world with your, your tongue. I don't know if you know that or not. Of course you do. You've all either experienced it or seen people who have ruined their lives because of the things that they have said. Or the things that they have allowed to slip out of their mouth that have come out of their heart is what Jesus says. And so all of a sudden you start damaging relationships, you start losing jobs or whatever might happen. All because you couldn't tame your tongue. James goes on to say things like this. Do you realize, he's telling the church here, he said, do you realize like you come and you praise God with your tongue, with your mouth. But you use that same tongue to destroy the images of God. In other words, to talk bad about other people. And what James is doing throughout his book is he's like, hey, we need to put a stop to this if we are going to be the church, and we need to use our tongue in redeeming ways. And so here, you just look at verse 12. I'm not going to explain all of what's going on in verse 12, but he gets to the end, and he says one of the really important things to use our tongue for is to speak truth. He says, be the type of person who's a truthful person, not the type of person where you would have to be brought in front of somebody to either take a vow or something like that. There's actually nothing wrong necessarily with taking vows, but we're not going to get into what is going on here. But becoming the type of person when your yes means yes and your no means no. And so he's summarizing here some of what it looks like to use our tongue in the right way. So one more time, everybody say above all above all he is continuing here and above all what we have read and what he is going to show us here is that above all our speech the way we use our mouth the way that we talk what flows from us as christians what we should be known for is prayer this is one of the things that we should be known for is praying with and for other people praying ourselves to god and so i'm going to give you my outline and we're going to walk through it here because this is what james teaches us He teaches us to pray when we are suffering, to pray when we are celebrating, to pray when we are sick, and to pray when we are in sin. And so here we go. Pray when you are suffering. Pray when you are suffering. He says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Now the word for trouble here also means suffering. In fact, I actually don't know why the NIV uh, put this as uh, trouble here instead of suffering because other places in the NIV it actually uses suffering instead of trouble. But what it means here is that you have any type of trouble that is mental, emotional, or physical. It's, it's, it kind of encapsulates all of those sorts of things. And, and the question is, is almost rhetorical in a, in a sense. Like anytime you get a group of people together, like somebody is suffering. Something is going on with someone. Uh, and and the, the truth is, and we all know this, is that you will suffer. Like Suffering is not optional in life. Jesus makes this very clear. He says, "The rain will fall on the just and the unjust alike." And so, nobody is exempt from suffering. Christ Himself suffered. The perfect person to walk the earth—nothing was wrong with Him—and yet He He suffered. He suffered physically. He suffered mentally. So, so suffered uh, uh, um, at the hands of people who wanted to do Him harm. We will all suffer. In Buddhism, this is really interesting. In Buddhism, uh, one of the Four Noble Truths is that life is suffering. Life is suffering. Now, so the question is not whether or not necessarily somebody is just in the room if they're suffering or if you will suffer, but it's what to do about it. I mean, that's what we need to think about. Like, what do we do when we suffer? And here, James makes it very very clear. Like, we pray. We pray. Now, does that mean that our suffering will be alleviated immediately? I, probably not. One of the things, though, that I do believe that prayer helps us to do when we are suffering, it helps us to put ourselves before God and actually evaluate like, what is causing our suffering. And sometimes in our prayer life, God speaks to us and, and so gives us solutions to our suffering and what is going on. But more often than not, we'll, when we're going to prayer for God and we're dealing with our suffering, what God is doing and what he is leading us in is helping to in, us endure our suffering. And that's actually probably what James is talking about here because the word that he uses here is uh, typically used in conjunction with people that are encouraging other people to endure suffering well. Paul himself, he writes to Timothy in, in, in 2 Timothy, and he reminds Timothy, he says, I'm in prison and I'm suffering for Christ. And so he's, he, But what he says in that, he says, I am patiently enduring this. For the cause of Christ, and then later on in the letter, what he does is he's writing to his protege who is having trouble in his in his work and in his life, and he's he's saying I'm going to pray that you will endure suffering well. James himself, in chapter five, he gets to a point and he's talking about suffering and what is going on in suffering. And I want you, to, I want to show you what he says to the church, and this is what he says: is he's asking them to pray for endurance he says brothers and sisters in verse 10 as an example of patience in the face of suffering patience in the face of suffering take the prophets who spoke in the name of the lord and what he's doing here is he's telling them you you need to pray for patience you need to pray for endurance and then he tells them to think about the prophets now, if you've ever read through the prophets, and a lot of you haven't, and I understand. They're sometimes even difficult to understand. Some of them are, are quite long. There's major prophets that are kind of long, and there's minor prophets that are shorter. Um, reason major, minor, that's the only reason. Long, short. Um, so one of the major prophets is Jeremiah, and he's also called the, the weeping prophet. His life is not great. Actually, it's awful. Um, and uh, Jeremiah is imprisoned. He's put in the stocks. He's thrown in cistron, a cistern, a, and a lot of... Um, uh, historians believe that this cistern, it wasn't just like a, a cistern, it was like a open septic tank. Um, yeah, it's gross. Uh, and he's left down there. But maybe even worse of all, he is, he is, he's called in the ministry, and he's called to lead people, and he's called to do all of these great things. Um, and he has two converts his entire life. I've prayed not to have a ministry like Jeremiah, <laughs> honestly. Uh, but he, he's, he's one of those guys that faithfully endures. I mean, I have to believe that he's going to God in prayer and he's remembering one of the first things that God told him. Do you, do you realize that we get this idea, like we we, we care about life, all life, uh, from the womb to the tomb. One of the places that we get this is in the first chapter of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is being told by God, I have knitted you. I have knitted you in your mother's womb. And he's telling Jeremiah how he knows him and how he has a call on his life and how he's important. And I have to believe that as Jeremiah went to the Lord in prayer, would go to the Lord in prayer trying to endure the stuff that he was going through, he had to remember that. He had to remember that I'm not going through this because God doesn't care about me. I'm not going through this because God doesn't love me. I'm not going through this because I don't have a call on my life. No, not not at all. When Jeremiah is going to God in prayer, he is being reminded of this on a daily basis that he is not an accident, Sometimes we go through some stuff. And you're going to need prayer. You're going to need prayer. I just ask that you don't give up on that. A few years ago, um, you know, I I don't actually deal with, like, depression on a regular basis or anything. Um, But I remember a few years ago, like, I had this, like, I I was down. Um, and it wasn't, you know, everybody goes through like, okay, you know, you're down for a week or two or whatever, pop back up. But I, I could feel like I had like some physiological changes going on. I didn't feel good. Like I knew, you know, I've counseled enough people and all that. And like, hey, I'm in like a, I'm in a depressive state. Um, and uh, I mean, I remember really struggling. And it was for like, it was for months at a time. It was much longer than, you know, the kind of typical like, hey, I'm having a bad week sort of thing. And I remember telling myself, like, my prayer life has got to increase right now. And, and it did. And then during my prayer life, I would remind myself, okay, what would I tell other people, right, right now that is go, that are going through what I'm going through? Right. Don't stop praying. Don't stop getting with your church people. Like, don't stop going to church. I, I couldn't stop going to church. Our, our family wouldn't have a paycheck. But right? I, I like to work out. Like, I feel it, it helps me work out. Like, don't quit working out, right? All of these, those, I had, to, I had to keep telling myself to do, like, prayer. I had more conversation with God during that time, probably, than I had, like, in almost all of my life. I had to keep doing that, and, and we do, too, when we're suffering. Second thing that James tells us to do, or ask, he asks this question, he tells us what to do with it. He says, is anyone happy? In other words, when you are celebrating, you should you should pray. He says, "Let them sing songs of praise." This is really cool. I, I don't know if you realize this or not, but but your praise is prayer. It's it's prayer language. And, and some of you, if things are going great with you, like you might need to turn on your favorite Christian music or whatever it might be. You get your butt to church, all that. Like it, sing and praise. David, who wrote the Psalms, like their prayers, their Psalms. He used to dance naked before the Lord. Um, yeah, you get that right. <laughs> and it, why do we know this? So other people saw it. Now, I'm not saying to do what, what he did in the way that he did it. Cl- shut the blinds, turn the music on, you know, <laughs> dance. David had an affair, so I just, like, you don't do everything that David did. But, but like, he, he prayed and he praised, and out of his gladness and happiness, like, this is, this is who he was. And this is what he did. You know, when you have good things going on in your life, I love, you know, we, we sing gratitude in a number of songs and here that reminds us to do that. And, and I love that because sometimes we think like, we're only I'm, I'm gonna pray when I need help. But this is praising before you need help. So much of the bad that happens in your life, right? You don't, I don't know if you realize this or not. Let me say it this way. The good that happens to your life is from God. We, we know that, that is clear. A lot of the bad, almost all the bad that happens to your life is from another source. It's either from sometimes you, it's from the enemy, it's from other people, like it's from the brokenness in the world, it, it, that's where all the bad comes from. But the good comes from God. James 2 makes this clear, James 1.7, he says this, every good and perfect gift from above or is from above coming down from the Father of heaven of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And so I love this idea that, that good comes from God, but not only that, but that our praise is prayer because one of the reasons I really like this is because when we come together I think it's really important to pray together but when we come together and we are singing songs of course it's an act of worship but what you're actually doing is you're praying and so many of you right you, you don't pray just because you feel like you don't know how and, and, and I get that and I understand that and that's part of why we're doing this series and I'm encouraging you to learn how but I, I, I want you to know like if you can sing these words up on the screen as we worship and pray together you can pray and you're praying not only you're you're praying with all the people in this room you're 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 praying with the Spirit of God at work among us in unison so if you're if you're happy sing praise sing praise third when you are sick pray when you are sick Uh, verse 14 says is anyone among you sick let them call the elders of the church to prayer over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer offered in faith Will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Here's, here's what I believe. I believe that God still heals. I, I, I've seen it. I, I've seen God heal people. Uh, this was during a season of intense prayer uh, for me years ago. Um, it was a season of intense prayer because I had just kind of become a, a lead pastor for the first time, and I had no idea what I'm doing. Um, just do a little bit more now. Not much. Uh, But I remember being, I mean, I'm like scared to death. And so I, I mean, I'm praying all the time. And uh, I remember getting done with the service and I'm heading home and we were in a rental property at at the time um, in this neighborhood where I knew this man lived who had missed church. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to call him and see how he's doing. Because I'd never seen him miss. I mean, I hadn't been there for real long, but I'd never seen him miss. So I'm going to call him and see how he's doing. And so I called him and I asked, I said, hey, can I... Uh, how are you doing he's let me know I couldn't see out of one eye and he was struggling his wife was sick and I said okay well can I can I stop by and pray for you I didn't know if you'd say yes or no I really hadn't talked to him a whole lot um, I actually uh, you, you'll see here in a second like he he wasn't he he didn't have the gift of hospitality he, he did have the gift of love he did love people um, but uh, he, he agreed to it so I walk in you No, know, what's going on and He said "Well, I, I lost sight in, in one of my eyes um, And I said, oh, well, I I felt like the Lord kind of led me to call you. Because, by the way, like, I I don't know if I've called anyone in here after missing one Sunday of church since I've been here. Have I, like, if I have, you can go raise your hand, right? Uh, So this is not something that I do on a regular basis, just in case you're wondering. Um, And I I said, well, um, uh, I had a feeling. And I said, I have a feeling you don't miss church very often. And this is is what he said to me. He said, "Uh, this is my first time in 30 years. I laughed I thought he was joking and then I realized really quickly that he wasn't the type of person who joked It's always awkward to be in somebody else's living room laughing at them when they can't see (laughs) so I asked him I said well can we pray and let's pray for healing and he said "Of, of course and so We prayed we prayed that god would heal him i left Um, the next sunday he shows up at church and uh he said josh the next morning i could see out of that eye Uh, he said i went to the doctor this is a no-nonsense type person (laughs) Um, by the way i you know if i haven't made that clear um (laughs) he he said the next or later in the week he said you know i said he said i made sure i made it a doctor's appointment so that I knew I wasn't fooling myself because he had been to the doctor prior and they said, you can't see out of your eye. We've got to run more tests and figure this thing out. Um, And he said, I went back and they said, yeah, you you can see and we don't know why. Um, You can see. It's an incredible story. And and one of the things that I, I want you to understand as I tell you that story is that praying for healing and praying for people was normative. In the early church. Like that it was it was the normal thing to do when people were sick or when people weren't well or when something like that happened to somebody. And and so for any of you, right, it doesn't have to be me showing up at your door or anything like that. This could be you and your student ministry. So-and-so sick, so-and-so is injured. Like let's let's lay our hands on them, let's let's pray for healing. Our catalyst communities or D groups or women's ministry, right, our men's ministry. Let's let's pray for these people in your homes. And let's walk through this verse continually here so you understand what's going on here. Um, and even some of the things that James calls us to do. So he says, Anyone of you, of you, among you sick? But then he says, Let them call. Now, what's really I I think was incredible about uh this man's uh, experience. Uh, with the healing of the eye. And by the way, the last thing he said to me before I moved, he called me over. really didn't talk to me very much. Uh, he called me over and he said, hey, Josh, remember when you came and prayed for me? Um, he said, I can still see years later. That, that was the one thing he wanted me to know before I moved, that he could still see. And so but ba- backing up here, is anyone among you sick? He let them call. Now, I called this man. But what James is asking us to do, if you you are sick, you gotta call. Like, uh, you know, I don't know to do that for everybody. People in your catalyst community do not know how to do that. Do not know if you're not doing well, necessarily, unless you tell them. Right? People in in your life do not know unless you tell them. Now, who do you call? Who do you call? You call on the elders. Now, who are the elders here? They're they're le- basically they're leaders in the church at this point. There, there might be some fairly good structure to the churches that are going on, but this is, this, is this, this Christianity is pretty new, so they're figuring this thing out. So the the structure may not be like great, like there. But there there are leaders. There are people who are spiritually more mature than others, or people that have been set aside to do the work of the Lord. That people have been designated and saying yes, these people have faith in the Lord. And so for our own church, like we have elders. We have people who help oversee the ministry of the church and what is going on here. But we also have praise team mem- or prayer team members uh, that can fit into this category. Hopefully, our pastors do. Um, we have uh, uh, our, our leaders for re- reason. We're training you up for Catalyst communities and D groups and all these sorts of things is for you to shepherd people in this way to to be able to do this. And then, so you call on the elders. And here's what's crazy. Here's this thing that we we often, um, we don't understand because we just don't do it a whole lot, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And so it might sound weird to us, but in the the New Testament culture, it wasn't even in the Old Testament as well. And so we see oil being used for all different reasons, some for healing properties or purposes. You see the Good Samaritan, like he uses oil to help the person who is in the ditch, sometimes to wash or to clean. Mary washes Jesus' feet with this. But probably what is going on here because of the words that are being used in the original languages is that it's trying to take us back to the priest that are anointed with oil that are going to go before and be in the presence of god so they're going to go into the temple and they're being set aside to do the ministry of the work of the lord but more importantly they are being set aside to be in the presence of god the presence of god is going to be with them and among them and for them and what the people are doing they're saying we're going to set these people aside so that they know that we believe that god is with them and that god will be with them and the oil is going to represent the presence of the lord and so what we do as a church when we are praying for people and we are anointing them with oil in this way is we are saying that we are setting you aside believing that the presence of god is with you and among you and on you and in you and for you in a very symbolic but yet real way and so the oil is supposed to remind us that the Holy Spirit rests on this person at this time as we are in prayer. And as we pray, as we pray, we are to pray in the name of the Lord, in the name of Jesus, in faith. And so we are to exercise faith in our prayer, believing that God can heal. Believing that God can heal, not that we can heal. I'm not a faith healer, right? Where nobody's coming up here and bodies aren't hitting the floor, right? <laughs> cool song, maybe. Um, but when we we pray for people we're praying that god heals them that god shows up and what we're told is that he will raise them up and and god will heal some people god heals god heals At, at at the very least i believe that god encourages i believe that the faith the prayer of faith builds other people's prayer of faith up maybe more than anything as we think about needing to be healed and needing to be prayed for sometimes we need to be reminded of God's faithfulness in the midst of our sickness, in the midst of our illnesses, in the midst of our troubles. So this begs the question here is is why isn't or why aren't everyone healed? In a very, uh, the simplest way here, and and James gives us this, is some is because sometimes we just don't pray in faith. Sometimes we just don't believe that God can heal. And I, I do believe that that we need to get to a place where we believe that and, and pray for that. Then there are some traditions that teach, by the way, that this James is, what James is talking about here is that healing stopped with the first century. Um, or he's only talking about healing in the spiritual sense. But the word that's used, and the reason this doesn't make sense, the word that's used for sickness actually means a physical sickness or a physical ailment. So I, I believe that God can heal. We need to have faith that he can now. Just because, some of you are like getting really uncomfortable here. Um, just because God does not heal does not mean something is wrong with your faith. Just because you are not healed does not mean something is wrong with your faith or you did not pray earnestly enough. That will drive people away from the faith because, one, it's false. James didn't believe that. People, there were people that Jesus didn't heal everybody. There were people in the early church that were not healed all the time. C.S. Lewis was actually driven away by people who told him this, by the way. Uh, as a young child, he went to the local priest as his mother was very ill and dying. And um, he was asked them, like, what can I do? And the priest said, well, you need to pray in faith that your mother will be healed. And, of course, she'll be healed. And so, uh, of course, as a child, like, he he believed the priest. And who would this young child pray m- more fervently for than his Oh mother, and so he prayed and prayed and prayed, and of course his mother passed away, and it, it really—this is one of the things that drove him away from the faith. Now, if you know anything about C.S. Lewis, he came back to the faith, um, and he wants to—he explores this a little bit, and, and we need to too. Not—we're not, not going to get super deep into this, um, but he comes to this answer. Uh, and I think this is just a really simple answer for us when we ask this. Like, why are some not prayed when you pray in faith? And the answer that C.S. Lewis essentially comes to is he's, he doesn't really know. Like, he, he doesn't really know why the man that I prayed for years ago can see while Carl is still struggling with his eyesight. Like, why is Carl not healed? But that man is. The truth is we don't know God's plan. God's plan may be to heal that person. We have a lack of understanding, but what we need to do is we come to God with trust and humility and give it to him and to pray. What well, C.S. Lewis and other people say, when you see a passage like this, what is clear and what we need to, to really believe in and lean into is this idea that we are called to pray. That we are called to pray. And So when you're sick, pray to be healed. Pray to be healed. Pray to give yourself over to God, to be set aside for his purposes, no matter what happens. Fourth here, the last thing, pray when you are in sin. Pray when you are in sin. Check this out. James says this to the church. He says, if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James also teaches, which is pretty incredible here, is that some of our physical illnesses are connected to our sin. Like, sometimes we do stupid stuff that makes us sick. Um, Now, we know that's not the only reason, and Jesus actually, for people who believe that was a reason that people got sick, he actually healed some people and then told them, like, hey, by the way, this person wasn't sick because they were sinning. This person was sick because they were sick. James is also talking here about physical, or excuse me, spiritual sickness, and what is very true about sin and spiritual sickness is that it trickles down. It trickles down. Some of you have heard this story before. And um, it uh, I really opened my eyes, too, to the, the, uh, the effects of not confessing your sins to one another um, in your home and in your life and in your church. And so this couple was having a ton of trouble with their young son, teenage son. I was a student ministry at the time. And so they say so he's, he's gone wild. He's shooting all fireworks in his room. Like... Which I actually thought was kind of funny, but they didn't. I didn't have any kids at the time. Um, like a bunch of stuff was going on, and so uh, what they did is they asked, him, "Hey, can you talk to him? Um, he's out of control. He's not remorseful, or anything's going. Like it, I, I don't understand what's going on with my son." So I bring him in my office. I sit down with him, and I start asking him all these questions and stuff like that. And he's he's in tears, by the way, in front of me, and confessing, repenting. He's He's sad for what he's done, like all, all of that. And I'm like thinking, like, your parents told me like you're not remorseful at all. You don't care about anything that's going on. Like this is, this is not what's in front of me. So I finish with him. I go, and now I'm sitting down, uh, down with parents. Like I'm not even married yet. <laughs> um, I don't have kids. Like, uh, and, and, so, and so I'm sitting down with them, and they're explaining me with, to me what's going on. And I, I, I'm, like, I just, I'm like, I'm over my skis right now. Um, and then they say, they bring that up again. They're like, well, he's not remorseful. He's not like, he doesn't seem to feel bad when he gets in trouble or anything like that. And so I'm listening to this and this is when I honestly, like, I, I'm beginning to pray. I'm like, God, give me something to say to these people because I have no idea what I'm doing right now. Um, and God told me to ask them this question. I, I believe this, right? And I don't have a ton of moments where like God is always telling me this or that. Like, uh, I, but He said, ask them one simple question. Ask them when is the last time they have confessed wrongdoing or repented of sin in front of their kids. And so I asked that question. And the mom was like one of the most involved people in our church. I loved her. She was fantastic. She loved the Lord. Her kids were awesome uh, for the most part. This kid was going through something at this point in time, but whatever. Uh, This happens. This kid, their kids, their teenagers. Um, And she looked at me and she said this. She said, well, that's something between me and the Lord. Like between us and the Lord. I'm like, hold on a second. (laughs) That is not true. I didn't say it that (laughs) way. But (laughs) I said, wait a second. You know, actually the Bible teaches us to confess our sins to one another. Um, That confession is part of being a Christian your son does not know how to confess or show remorse or repent in your home because he's never seen it done before he doesn't think it's a safe place to do it and you should have seen like the light bulbs go off like oh and I said so at the dinner table when you all mess up when like Your kid's seeing you sin. Like, they're seeing things. Like, you need to confess those sorts of things. You need to show them that your family is a safe place to allow that to happen. And this began to transform their relationship with their son and their family. And I think the reason I tell this story is because this is what the church should be like. But it's not. I mean, when's the last time you've confessed sin to anyone? And we wonder often why the church is sick. Like So many of us, right, we're screaming at the White House, and the church house is messed up with this. This is, I mean, this is fundamental here to being a follower of Jesus for James, is to be able to confess your sins to one another. And not only that, like to do it to the, yeah, like people, leaders in the church, and here's leaders, here's what people should hear from us you're forgiven like we we love you go and sin no more how how can we help you put this to death Like and, and pray for them I, I you know we're just caught up in this culture where we believe right if somebody thinks i've done something wrong they'll no longer love me and in some cases that's like you can get canceled like by certain people you can get pushed you did what yeah i'm not afraid. like you have self-righteous friends in your life? We have to work hard as a church not to be like that so people that can come forward. All all revivals throughout all of history all began with repentance. All began with people coming, believing that they needed to be healed by confessing their sins to one another. Let's end here uh, by looking at the last two verses. It says, then Elijah... Elijah, excuse me, was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come up here. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the rain produced its crops. Now, this refers to the time of 1 Kings uh, 17 through 18 is what's going on here. And Elijah uh, prays, and there's this ecological change. Um, he he prays for rain, or he prays for it to stop raining because there needs to be a drought to punish Ahab and everybody kind of under his influence. Well, three and a half later, years later, it's it's time to rain, and and so Elijah begins praying for rain, and it and it begins to rain. Uh, and here's what's one of the crazy things that uh, James tells us is that we are just like Elijah, um, and what's going on there and those verses of first king that he's praying for rain and there's like rain comes at his prayer and we're just like him Uh, further like I don't know if you know anything about Elijah but when Elijah prayed earlier and later on in his ministry like he he called fire down from heaven twice fire down from heaven I would love to be able to do that by the way my kids would think I was awesome if I could do that he argued boldly with kings he raised the boy back to life. He had never-ending food from God during that drought. This is what the AU ravens are actually named after here. Ravens are bringing him food, I think. Um, that's what I was told. Um, he ran faster than a chariot at one point. He anointed prophets. And check this out. Elijah didn't die. And he is just like you. You are just like him. I mean, that's crazy to think about. All these things happened and his prayers were so big and they were so bold. It's, it's, it's crazy to think about that James would say he is just like us. And not only that, Like, why did James use that, that, uh, that piece of information instead of the fire down from heaven or bringing the boy back to life, whatever it might be. And, and here's why I think prayer can do something for us as we think about our 21 days of prayer and trying to lead people in prayer that prayer can lead the spiritually dead or dormant back to life where are you at are are you dead are you dormant Your relationship with the Lord prayer can help lead that back to life and above all everybody say above all above all all. I, I think James is challenging us to pray really bold and big prayers challenging us to pray really bold and big prayers. And so I don't know where you're at, what's going on in your life, or what God has for you or wants you to do or what he wants you to pray about or what he wants you to pray for. I can tell you when he wants you to pray. When you're in trouble, when you're suffering, when you're celebrating, when you're sick, and when you're in sin, right? Pray really big and bold prayers. Here's how I wanna end this morning. I'm gonna call, I'm gonna call for a call of action this morning, We are a people who believe that we should be praying for other people. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter into a time of prayer and anointing. And so myself and some of the elders, the prayer team, we're going to go back here. And we are going to be uh, in our prayer nook back here. And uh, we're going to pray and anoint people. Maybe you're sick, maybe you're ill. Maybe you have sin that you want to repent of. And here's the thing, like if you have sin you want to repent of and you don't want everybody back there to know, just just come up and whisper it into my ear. I'm not going to make you feel bad about it, right? I'm going to let you know that you're loved. I'm going to let you know that God is with you. I want to pray that he walks you out of it, right? And you're forgiven. And you're forgiven. It used to be a normal thing to do in the church. Don't, be, don't feel odd about that. So whatever it might be, if you just need prayer, just come back there. And if you just wanted to be anointed for whatever reason, you're welcome to come back there. Uh, We will stay back there for as long as we need to. We're going to sing one more song and worship. And Jason will, if we're still praying, um, Jason will uh, conclude our service. I'm going to ask that you uh, stand. I'm going to pray, and I'll make my way back there. And if you want prayer, uh, come back with me. Father, we're in front of you today, and we believe that we should pray. That's what the church does. It's normative. It's who we are. We are praying people. That's what we use our mouths for. That's what we use our communication for. And so let us do that this morning. If there are any among, anyone among us who are suffering in any prayer, let them pray. If there's anybody among us celebrate them, the celebrating, let them sing songs of praise this morning, which we're about to do. The sick, let them come. Let, them, let Let's pray, Father. For those who are in sin, let's pray. Above all, let us pray. Let us pray that the Lord will be at work among us. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.